Hello and welcome to Three Peas in a Pod, brought to you by the team behind Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin. I'm the editor Paul Jarvis and we've got a slightly different podcast in store today as we delve into the issues around mental health and well-being in the infrastructure industry. I'm joined for this by Robert Marr, Director of Asset Management at Artelia, and Martin Lockham, Head of Fundraising and Growth at the charity Mates in Mind. So mental health is something that everyone is becoming increasingly aware of today. And just as we all know we need to stay fit and healthy in our bodies, there is a growing awareness across industries that we need to be considering our mental well-being just as much, if not more. This is especially true in the construction industry, which is traditionally male-dominated and has historically had a culture that doesn't really lend itself to people being open and talking about their emotions, feelings and mental well-being. This is where organisations like Mates in Mind come in. So, Martin, perhaps we can start with you giving a short overview of what Mates in Mind does. Yeah, morning, Paul. So Mates in Mind, uh, we're a charity. We were formed around five years ago by the Health and Safety Leadership Group in Construction and the British Safety Council. They obviously uh, spotted at the time that there was an increase in issue and a lack of conversation around mental health in the sector. And so the charity Mates in Mind was formed. And we were formed really to enable organisations specifically within construction at that time to really work with constructions of any size to help them improve their employees mental health. So we work with organisations to provide skills, clarity and the confidence to those employers on how to raise awareness, improve understanding and to address the stigma that surrounds mental health in the sector. Today, we work with several different partners, sector leaders, a growing community of supporters, and we're seeing effective change within the sector over those years. And now we're broadening into related industries as well, really. So that, in a nutshell, is what what the Mates in Mind charity does. Great. Thanks, Martin. So why then are we at Partnerships Bulletin spending a podcast discussing this, you might ask? As many, particularly in the UK, will be aware of, There are increasing pressures bearing down on staff within PFI and PPP contracts, and this is having a significant impact on some people's well-being. We've written a lot over the past year or so about increasingly aggressive and antagonistic tactics used by some in the management of PFI deals, but it's not simply in this context that organisations need to be aware of their staff's mental health. Financial pressures mean that many contracts are under strain like never before, And that is affecting the stress placed on individuals at the centre of these contracts, even where relationships are relatively good. So, Robert, perhaps you can talk a little about some of the challenges that are specific to the PFI and PPP market in this area. Yes, thank you, Paul, and thank you, Martin. Yeah, from uh, at Artelio, we're we're concerned, and I'm personally kind of concerned about making sure that people get home safe, and that's kind of where my kind of interest this has come from. It's, as Paul, you've outlined, it's evident that there's a real concern about the kind of mental health of people across the PFI and PPP sector. And it's interesting because it cuts across the breadth of all participants within a contractual arrangement, from FM contractors to authority reps, and also through the depth of the organisations. It could be through from SPV directors or all the way down to kind of help desk managers that uh, are potentially impacted by this. So we have partnered with Mates in Mind for probably the duration of Mates in Mind's existence, kind of for the last five years, I think. And so it, it they've been very helpful to us in raising awareness across kind of our sector and within our organisation. 
So we've got a, an active mental health program ranging from kind of having mental health first aiders to awareness training, access to an employees assistance program, and just generally kind of looking after each other and looking out for each other and, and kind of open discussion. And that's kind of where I'm kind of keen to pass that message on through to the other people in the sector so that if they don't already have flagged up some or all of those things that are raised. I personally have been a mental health first aider awareness training programme. I'm not a first aider per se. I'm keen that organisations take that as a responsibility and make sure that there's awareness within their organisations and also within the structure of the SPV and PFI contracts. Okay, great. Thanks for that. That's a good overview. And I think, Robert, you've been sort of having a little look into this issue and considering some of the specific areas where mental health issues may arise and kind of just looking into some sort of almost case studies, really. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I've been thinking of kind of a few example kind of case studies to kind of um, flesh out some of the issues. So it'd be interesting to hear from Martin how these can be dealt with potentially. So it should be noted these are not real-life issues but could occur in real life. So there's no one that has been singled out. So the first one is a kind of a public sector contract representative and he's been the representative for the PFI contract for the last seven years. But his finance director has now kind of told him to use the PFI payment mechanism to levy more damages against the PFI company. This is not something that he's comfortable with because he's developed a relationship with the SPV uh, general manager and they've got a very good working relationship. So this is now kind of causing him kind of sleepless nights and he's struggling to maintain focus and performance at work and, and personally. And he's missed deadlines. He suffers from migraines and he's noticed his alcohol consumption has gone up. So you're, kind of, you're the client's representative's colleague and you've seen him in the office like this. How could you help him, Martin? Yeah, well, I think it's difficult to comment on specific individual cases, really. But obviously, I suppose the first thing is, obviously, if he's, he's actually able to express that he's feeling that way, if he's actually opened up to somebody, or if these things are happening and he's able to talk about his issues. One of the big issues that we see within the sector and within the industry that we work with is that the stigma, first and foremost, actually prevents people reaching out for support. So the individual, first and foremost, is he empowered to actually speak out about the issues that he's feeling, about the stress that he's feeling? Or is he keeping this all to himself? Is he drinking because he hasn't got an outlet for somebody to speak to? Has he got the relationship with his boss to say, this is too much for me now, I'm, I'm struggling here? So there is, is a multifaceted amount of issues that we can already see here. Obviously, from an organisational perspective, is he getting support? Are his colleagues able to spot that he's struggling? Are they able to start a conversation with him about how he's feeling? Or is the is the workplace culture not right for that conversation to happen? I suppose first and foremost, and the word culture we use a lot within an organisation, how do we address the issues that might be causing stress on that individual? How do we make the culture within an organisation more open to actually speak about how I'm feeling, the pressures that I'm feeling, the stress that I'm feeling, and be able to do that and not feel that actually if I do speak about my mental health, I'm going to be judged. 
I'm going to be typecast as the one with a mental health issue now. I'm going to be labelled as the one unable to cope with my workload, which by the sounds of it from this individual could be a significant amount. So, But then we also then need to look even before that, how as an organisation have we allowed ourselves to get into a position where we are putting on undue demands? We're, we're perhaps not letting this individual have the amount of control in the work that he needs to be done. The relationship between the manager, between the, the, the PFI contract holder and the individual is the relationship there. So there's a whole multifaceted way of answering, I suppose, that, that overall question. What we do see with organisations is what, unfortunately, we are trying to change as a charity. And the simple answer would be somebody is struggling with their mental health. There's a helpline over there. Or why don't you just ring the EAP? which a tertiary intervention could be required and is often a good thing if that tertiary intervention is optimised. But so often we see they aren't. For example, the Mental Health First Aid initiative can be a great initiative. Any psychological listener model within the workplace can be fantastic, but if it's not optimised, it might not have the impact we have. So really, Rob, to answer your question, it's such a multifaceted question there that there's a number of things that we really need to be looking at at multi-layers rather than just perhaps help for the individual at that time, a point of need support. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's all about that intervention and stepping forward and, and talking to someone when they notice something happening to give them a kind of a listening post and maybe kind of signpost them to further kind of support like identifying the employee assistance program if that's in that case a kind of a good way of dealing with it absolutely and i think one of the things that we do see that there are several different points of need support out there as you mentioned your mental health first age eaps occupational health all of these really really great support services but often the barriers to support prevent individuals actually reaching out and using them. And what we can do as organisations is really change the culture around how we talk about mental health so that it does, we break down those barriers. So the main barriers that we see that prevent individuals actually reaching out and using those support services, first and foremost, self-recognition. That individual might be feeling that stress, he might be feeling that pressure, but might not have experienced it ever before. So doesn't really know what it is, doesn't know what's keeping him awake at night, doesn't know what's giving him that stressed feeling. Um, and he doesn't really know how to recognise it. So self-recognition can be a real, real issue. And he might not have spotted that actually he's drinking a little bit more than he was, or that he's a little bit more standoffish from the rest of the team than he normally is. He might not recognise that in himself, but one of his colleagues might. And that's why it's so important that we teach and upskill individuals to actually spot signs in people and have the confidence to start a conversation and ask twice, are you okay? No, seriously, how are you doing? And listening to that non-judgmentally and compassionately, but then they might be able to signpost that individual too. Well, look, have you thought about speaking to our EAP or our mental health first aider? So we need to break down the barriers to support because also often we might have these great optimized support services but they're often very, very underused. So it's really about breaking down those barriers to support. One of the issues that they teach you at the Mental Health First Aider kind of uh, awareness training is actually kind of the first thing to do is to find out whether someone's actually in crisis and, and shouldn't be kind of left alone. So it's very important to have that awareness and have the training and, and notice the signs, notice kind of what's going on, notice what's what's different in someone from kind of hour to hour or day to day, which I suppose there's a, another example. So an SPV general manager, 
five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, she receives the usual Friday afternoon flurry of help desk requests from the authority team that they've been building up through the week, picking up on very pedantic issues of non-compliance, but with a 48-hour response time. Unfortunately, the, the general manager has a weekend wedding to travel to that night and her deputy is on leave. The only solution appears to be to work late and to drive afterwards, although she knows that she'll be tired. She feels angry that she's been put in this situation again. You work in the same office and and notice the mood change. What can you do? I would again ask, as an organisation, why are we letting our individuals face that situation? That would be my first question. You know, as an organisation, if we've allowed this to build up and we know this, it doesn't sound like it's the first time it's happened and we're aware of it, what are we doing to change that situation? Is it fair that we let this happen continually? I mean, we know now that it's having an impact on the individual. And do we have a duty of care? Yes, legally, we have a duty of care as an organisation to protect our employees from workplace stress. Now, it sounds to me like we need to actually identify and then mitigate against what this issue could be. So again, I think very, very similar to the first instance in that we need to be looking at the culture. We need to be looking at what steps we can change rather than just waiting until a point of crisis a point of need we need to actually be making earlier interventions and understanding how we can make relevant changes that prevent this from happening because if we intervene on this occasion what to say next friday it doesn't happen or the following friday or the following friday it will it will continue it's a sausage factory you know we might even say to this manager well okay yeah we understand You've missed the wedding, you've had a you know, you've had a stressful weekend, take some time off, come back next week, exactly the same situation. Same thing happens again, take some time off, sorry you missed your weekend, come back again. That will have a major impact. And and tragically, we have seen this whereby yes, we address the actual point of crisis, the point of need, but we put people back into the exact same position. And unfortunately, the next time they might not actually reach out for support and help. And tragically in construction, as we see two individuals on average taking their own life every working day and how often is that something that could have been prevented because we've not actually identified the risk and changed what we needed to to actually support that individual correctly yeah kind of one of the behavioral signs of mental health stress is complaints about the lack of management support and fixation with fair treatment and quick to use the grievance procedures so it's identifying those tags those indicators and then being able to intervene yeah absolutely and and, and as i say organizations have a legal duty of care in that instance that you said there i would definitely be asking the organization so now that you've identified there's a risk what are you going to do to mitigate it because you have to this is the point of stress risk assessments this is the point of legislation that we have to now we've identified that there is a potential stress on that individual how are we going to mitigate against it we can't just say well you'll be all right this weekend Let's see how we go next week. Yeah, we know this happens on a weekly basis. We've got to change it. Again, it comes back to the organisation really, really, truly caring for their employees and wanting to do the best by them. And we, we've seen, and, and most business leaders now are aware, that the mental health and well-being of their employees has a positive impact on their business. If we can really engage with our employees and, and understand them and what not just protect them from poor mental health, but actually help them thrive if we can actually address these issues and help them really, really develop and grow in their job as positive for business 
And that's really what we want to help organizations do, really help their employees thrive, which in turn obviously helps the business perform better as well. Yeah, absolutely. There is a legal duty there, which actually kind of leads me on to the third scenario. I won't go into the full details of this, but it's an SPV director, so a company director who feels like they have no one else to turn to that all roads point to them they have got a legal obligation to do things and there is so much pressure on them and that they're experiencing lots of negative feelings and untenable position as a statutory director again how can they seek help yeah it's a really really good point this rob actually because all of the work that we do we have to remember everybody has mental health everybody has a mind this isn't just boots on the ground or you know a specific demographic or a specific age group everybody can be affected by mental health and poor mental health is a variable again you can have good mental health you can be diagnosed with mental health conditions and have good mental health you can have no diagnosis and have poor mental health it's a variable and so just because somebody is a director and in a position of power we shouldn't assume that oh, well they, they've got no no cause for complaint they're going to be absolutely fine. It can affect people in exactly the same way, regardless of role, age, gender. And so we've really got to consider that. Again, we would always encourage people to talk about how they're feeling, overcome that stigma. And again, it's potentially a different form of, of stigma, that individual, because they feel that they've got the weight of the world on their shoulder, all of the those business decisions that they might be taking. But reach out to a loved one, a partner, tell them how you're feeling, tell them how they're talking or how they're actually feeling at the moment. Talk to friends, close work colleagues if they have them about how they're feeling, their HR department that they've got. And again, I suppose it's beneficial in if they know how they're feeling, how would they then want their individuals within their organisation to feel as well? And that's why it's so important that mental health and what organisations do comes from the leadership team. We really want leaders within organisations and within the sector to talk about how important mental health is because when leaders talk about a subject like this it doesn't have to be a top-down approach but when leaders talk about a subject like this and say look this actually affects me too then people will follow people will say look it's okay to talk about mental health remove that stigma remove the taboo of the topic i think it's really really important that we as i say remember everybody has mental health and that everybody can talk about it and really reach out to somebody to, to talk about those issues. I think going through kind of what we've just been talking about, the headlines for me is to create the correct culture from the top down and increase awareness of mental health issues and how you can signpost or you can come up with your own personal action plan when these things occur. Yeah, absolutely. The work we do as a charity, we see now Thankfully, more often than not, in fact, very, 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 very rarely do we ever see anybody saying, you know, well, mental health, it's not a real thing, etc., etc. And those days have gone, touch wood. What we see now is people wanting to do the right thing, but not necessarily knowing how or where to start. And that's our role as a charity, really, to work with organisations so that we don't just understandably look at the tertiary measures, so the helplines, the mental health first aiders, the EAPs. But we then start to look at things like the secondary measures. So as you mentioned there, Rob, upskilling all employees to have a basic level of general mental health awareness, understanding themselves, and as we've touched on, the real importance of spotting signs in others and having the confidence to start conversations. 
Those secondary measures should also incorporate leadership. It's, again, the examples you've given, Rob, leadership is such an important area within the workplace, mental health and well-being field. If leaders, leaders are usually leaders or managers are usually managers because they're good at their jobs. They've worked their way into a management position because they're incredibly good at what they do. But often the soft skills haven't been developed there. So they're not often, again, confident enough to spot signs that somebody in their team might be struggling and start a conversation with them. So those secondary measures are really important as well. And then finally, a lot of what we've touched on today, the primary measures. So the culture, the culture of an organization, things like we've talked about spotting issues and mitigating where we could have potential risks is really, really important because that will make the bigger change rather than just allowing things to happen to our individuals and hoping that they seek help. Because as I say, tragically in construction, quite often people don't actually reach out for that support they need. Yes, thank you. That was really interesting sort of deep dive into some of the specific issues and and how you can kind of look at dealing with them. And actually just going back on some of those last points there, Martin, I think, you know, just to add to that, really, I think one of the key things, you know, you say, obviously, it's not the days of old where mental health was sort of something that was ignored, and more and more people are aware of it. I think, though, you know, it's still important that people realise, and certainly sort of management of organisations realise that it shouldn't just be a kind of tick box exercise, and that there needs to be a level of authenticity there, doesn't there? I think, you know, I'm I'm aware of organizations where and not actually necessarily in the in the construction industries it happens but organizations where the management will put on a a series of training sessions for for staff but actually you know and, and that sort of come from the ceo but actually when the ceo is then sitting in the office there's a level of tension there that that is you know not necessarily conducive to good mental health not and or to a kind of culture that would be willing to spot and sort of speak out about issues that that may be arising so yeah there has to be a kind of it has to be backed up by you know as you say a culture that is conducive to that environment yeah we work with organizations on a holistic approach we know that there is no one training day or a poster or whatever it may be that is going to change the culture within an organization this has to be a long-term plan and you want to have a plan as to how are we going to address this? You know, we've got build plans, we have sales plans, financial plans, but very, very rarely when we speak to organisations do we see a mental health and wellbeing plan. So we work with those organisations to actually set some some targets for us. Where do we want to be in a year's time? You know, where do we want to be in three years' time, five years' time, et cetera, et cetera? This is going to be an ongoing thing. It's not just, well, we've finished it. This has got to be ongoing. But you're absolutely right. It's got to be a holistic approach. There is no single thing that you can say, there's the training day. Well, we've got a couple of people trained up now, so box ticked, we're done. It doesn't work like that. We, it's got to incorporate so many different elements that we can we can really make cultural change, destigmatize the issue, and really get people talking about mental health in exactly the same way. If you think about physical health and safety, and and the last twenty thirty years approach to that, we want a very similar kind of approach to kind of make it a normal conversation. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And Robert, just to come to you around the industry then, because sort of taking a, a step back, really, I guess, from individuals and individual companies, I think what we have certainly seen as an organisation, you know, looking at, at the market, is that 
this is having a direct impact and certainly people have been telling us this is having a direct impact on recruitment and retention of staff and you know how some of the challenges around mental health have resulted in a challenging environment in terms of actually getting the staff that are needed to deliver the the jobs which actually becomes a kind of a vicious circle in many ways because if you don't have enough staff then chances are those that you do have are overworked so yeah just some of your thoughts really perhaps on the market as a whole yeah yeah absolutely so there's a a a scarce pool of resource that deals with kind of pfi and ppp contracts particularly what one reaction from companies could be to just throw more money at the issue to retain staff, increasing salaries, and, and therefore that actually has a bit of a negative impact on, on someone's mental health because they've got more of a kind of a, a need, a demand on them to stay there, and there's the, even more pressure. So again, that kind of comes back to what Martin was saying with regard to creating the right culture. Yeah. Well, I think that probably covers everything that we've got time for. Thank you both very much for that. That was a really interesting and detailed conversation, I think, on some of the, the big issues that we're, we're seeing. And really just, you know, as a sort of plea to our listeners, I guess, to sort of take on board some of the things that have been said and maybe, you know, start to implement those where possible or you know, start to think about how you can embed these kind of practices into your, your culture and into your organisation. But yes, thank you again, both. It's been really good to talk to you today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.